welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. This month is uh, an artist in residence month, so I'm going to invite Jess if she will come and share a little bit uh, of her work with us. So, Jess. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you were able to hear a small introduction of myself. If you weren't, my name is Jess, and I'm a poet and multimedia artist, which you can see some examples of on the display table over there after the gathering. Um, and also, if you were here last week, you heard me read one of my most recently published poems. And it was probably no secret to you that it's a little bit abstract and weird. And if you're anything like my family, you maybe heard it, and you were like, oh, this is it sounds cool, and I'm, I'm proud of you, but what in the world? Um, <laughs> so you're not alone, if that was you. Um, and the piece I'm going to read today, um, I kind of want to play off that idea. It's housed under the title of procedural poetry, and basically the short definition of that is you pick a procedure. It can be anything from you know the style of a recipe or a personal ad, or what I did was a thesaurus entry. And that's just kind of your style for the piece that you want to write, and you just fill in the blanks. Um, And so this piece I chose because it actually has to do with the the poem I read last week um, and my family's reaction to that, so I'll just read it for you guys. (laughs) When you get a poem published in an accredited literary journal, and while discussing this around the table at a family dinner, your family members say things like, I didn't even click on the link because I knew I wouldn't understand it, no offense can be substituted for I gave up halfway through, or I at least made it further than Craig did, or you artists are beyond me, care to translate, or similar sentiments of disillusion praise. Those are real things that they said. (laughs) They're great, they're great, don't worry. (laughs) Uh, Synonyms. Loneliness. A companionless ant wandering through a stone-scattered sidewalk, quietly attempting to avoid the bottoms of passerby shoes. One single sock. A crumpled candy bar wrapper plastered to a thick gray snowbank glinting quickly from its foiled folds. Overcooked Thanksgiving turkey. That balled up feeling your stomach gets when you're unendingly hungry but can't leave the meeting for another two hours. Undercooked Thanksgiving turkey. Inkless pen, an unacknowledged act of kindness. Those far too acknowledged acts of recklessness. A small lake bay greened with algae life without parole. Your inability to keep the wine rack full, the clop-clop echo of a horse running through a nighttime city street that only you can hear, an artist looking into a mirror. Um, And what I said to the people in the first gathering is if you do like to write and you get stuck with writer's block, like we often do, this kind of stuff is a really good way to get that creativity flowing. And you don't have to love what you write, you don't have to keep it, but oftentimes it'll open the door for something you can be a little bit more emotionally invested in. So I encourage you guys to give it a try. Thanks. All right, friends, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to 2 Corinthians. We are in a study there. And uh, unfortunately, I, uh, you guys don't get this honor, but uh, many of you have heard me talk about this infamous guy, Rabbi Allen, uh, who is uh, in town uh, every couple times a year, and we get to study with him, and so Laura and I are headed off to that, but he actually prayed, uh, he always says at the beginning of our studies, you know, he'll look around the room and he'll say, Micah, blessing on the studies. So then then you're like, what do you say to the rabbi? Like, okay, sure, I guess I'll do that. So he actually, I said to him, Alan, uh, blessing on our studies. So he prayed for us uh, before we jumped in. So that was kind of cool. 
So I'm running off to that. If you have anything you need to talk to me about, um, you'll literally have to email me or talk to me later because I will, I'll be gone. Gone, gone, gone. Gone, baby, gone. So let's do this. Let's jump in here. Um, Second Corinthians, we've talked about a couple of really important themes. Paul starts with grace and peace. Uh, he quickly moves to this idea of suffering and where is God in the midst of suffering or how do we understand suffering? Uh, he talks about God finding us in the midst of our suffering so that we actually become the comfort for those who suffer, interestingly. We get wrapped up, swept up in this uh, great story of redemption of God making beauty from broken things. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, um, so that. Paul says, these trials have come so that. And we explored this idea, which really um, asked a lot of questions about the nature of God, about what does it mean to say God is all-powerful? What does it mean to say that God is all-knowing? God is sort of omnipotent, omniscient, these large theological words. And I want to actually continue that conversation today. We're sort of hovering on this theme because this is really at the heart of what Paul's saying, at least in the subtext, I think. So um, this morning, we'll do that. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to read from uh, just verses 10 and 11. So if you have your Bibles and you're there, stand if you would. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. Pray with me. God, as we open this story and this text, uh, find us. Find us wherever we are, wandering or coming back or committed or questioning. Find us, God, and speak what we need to hear and invite us where we need to go. We pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Uh, just quickly, pastorally, I'll say, uh, and again, we're going to continue this conversation that we've kind of started, uh, and I mentioned two weeks ago or three weeks ago that I, uh, a friend of ours, um, Jay Substad, died tragically, suddenly at the age of 47, and Laura and I went to their funer uh, his funeral, and uh, at the funeral, one of the, he has four children, um, two of his boys, 14 and 17, and one of them wrote this in the program, I do not know how I'm going to go on without my dad and my best friend. But I know this is part of God's perfect plan, and somehow God will be glorified. And I sit there in this funeral. You know, if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, you might imagine how I'm hearing this. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering, like, how is crazy Uncle Bill, who doesn't believe, hear that? What's, what's going on? And, and two things came to me in this moment. One, what we believe about God matters. What we think about God and what we think about what we think God is like in the midst of these kinds of moments, it really, really matters. This is not a novel idea. This is not something that we do because we're bored on Sundays or we're interested in theology. But like, this is where the rubber meets the road. And it matters what we think about God. And then secondly, as I'm sitting here thinking how on earth this kid is trying to struggle through and make sense of his dad's death, I realized that the best response in these moments when you or I find ourselves there is not the correct theological response. The most important thing is presence. You, flesh and blood, showing up, present. That's the most important thing, over and above the correct theological response. Now, of course, I would say the correct theological response is important. 
I spend a great deal of time thinking and, and wondering and studying about these things. But in those moments, fear not, friends, if you think to yourselves, like, how, how will I know what to say in those kinds of moments? Like, who am I? Anybody ever had that thought? Presence. If you can say nothing at all, be present. And it is a gift. You don't need to know what to say in those moments because the correct response in that moment for a 14-year-old who just lost his father is you, present. That's it. This is a sermon on prayer. And uh, I'm terrible at prayer. I'm one of the worst prayers in the room, I would venture to say. Like if we lined everybody up in sort of like, you know, zero to, zero to 100, I am one of the worst prayers in the room. It has always been a struggle for me. My experience of God is like Jacob wrestling with God. You know, I will not let go until you bless me. You know, that kind of, that's my, that's how I hear from God. So prayer has always been a real struggle for me, but, uh, so I'm not an expert on this subject. And what I, what I say today is not coming from a life lived, you know, as a prayerful, you know, a prayer model, but rather one who just wrestles with this topic, who has struggled with this topic. Uh, I'll, and I'll say this, in the last three weeks, I was going to teach this three weeks ago when I got sick, um, I have prayed more in the last three weeks for you and for things in my life than I have in the last year. I'm becoming convinced that what I'm about to say is true. <laughs> okay? And that's always the sign of a good salesman. Somebody believes in their product. I, I, I just... I, I really think this is true, gang. And so what I hope to give you and offer you this morning, I like, it's been really helpful to, for me as I'm trying to understand prayer. And so I hope that if you can take it for what it's worth and if it works for you, great. If you think I'm totally out to lunch, well, you can tell me that. But, uh, you know, Surgeon General's warning. And I must say, I have to give credit where credit is due. Greg Boyd is a, a, an influence of mine as a theological mentor and somebody I just find a great deal of compatibility with as far as how uh, he reads the text. And so some of these seeds have grown in me from reading books like God at War and Escaping the Matrix. And so if, if you're familiar with Greg, you might hear some of these things, and I would hate for you to go home thinking, does he copy sermons off the internet? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I've never done that. I never will. If I do, like, game over. Send me out to pasture because it's over. <laughs> Let me start with a question this morning. How many of you struggle with prayer? Raise your hands. Don't be shy. This is church. I know there's a bar upstairs, but it's church. Raise your hands. Keep them high. Keep them high. How many of you struggle with prayer? Look around the room. Just look. I'm not doing this because I'm like helping lead the example. I struggle with prayer. My name is Micah. I struggle with prayer. <laughs> I'm curious. What are some of the reasons that you find this difficult? Just shout them out. Just kind of help each other. Why, why is prayer hard for you? Hello, 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 hello. You know, it's like, are you out there? Right. What? Yes, yes. If God knows it all and he knows what I'm going to say, then why am I doing this? You know? Yes, yes. I love that. I feel that. What else? Say it again. Yeah, God, God, I need this. I need, I need, I need. Give me, isn't that, what about Bob? Anybody remember that? I'm taking baby steps. I'm doing the work. Dr. Leo Marvin. Sorry, all the therapists in the room, that one's for you. Okay, what else? I heard something up here. I hate the sound of my own voice. Yeah, yeah, I hate the sound of my own voice. Yep, yep, you know, we sort of turn, tune on prayer voice. It's quieter, or we say just all the time. 
God, I just, I just, Father God, Father God, Father God. I think he gets it, right? Yeah, okay, I'm, you know, Dave. He doesn't actually speak back. Yeah! Right. One way. Yes, okay, we're getting somewhere. Now we're cooking here. Yeah, I just spent an hour here. They're like, give me something, you know? It's not an hour. It's more like 10 minutes. Okay, yes, yes. All right, we are on to something here, right? Like, we're pragmatic people as Americans. We, you know, cause and effect. If I do this, I want to know this happens. And often, I don't hear back. Nobody says anything. How do I know if this worked? If I put 30 minutes into a workout, I want abs to show for it. You know what I mean? Sorry, come on. 30 minutes, that's what it's going to take. So, yes, prayer. Man, what an enigmatic idea. Like, talking to someone thing that we can't see, often can't hear, we just sense, okay. You, you recognize this sounds crazy, like uh, from the outside looking in. This morning I want to explore, why does Paul tell these people, why does Paul think it's important that they be praying for him? He says, like, this is a big moment in the text. On him, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Paul's anchor, he's like, I am tethered to this one thing, the resurrected Jesus. On him I have set my hope and that he will continue to deliver us as you help us with your prayers. Paul seems to think this is really important. Why? And then secondly, like why pray? Let's talk about this. Let's really get into it. What's really, what's happening here? So let's jump in. Are you ready for this? You're like, this, I don't know what you're going to say, but <laughs> this ought to be good because I don't know what to think. Um, why is it important that the Corinthians pray for Paul? Remember the situation here, right? This is a book written to a church, a small group of people, maybe like 50, 70. They meet in homes mostly, very small. But there's like a, the, the, the resurrected Jesus has been presented. Paul is like a, an apostle, right? He's a, an, an ambassador, a witness to this thing that's happened. And people are like getting saved. People are repenting and being baptized. There's like a good old-fashioned revival happening in Corinth. And then there's this other group of people who are like, I don't know if Paul's the real deal or not, right? There's these dissenters. There's, a, there's a, a meeting where, you know, things are said, tempers flare, you know, people regret things, pe- feelings get hurt, and it's tense, right? This is the setting into which this letter comes. Paul says, you should be praying for me. What does Paul know about prayer? Like, why, is he imp- why does he think this is important? In other places, he, he often opens and says, like, I've been praying for you, and, and I'm grateful for all the things God is doing through these prayers in this community. Why is, what does Paul know about prayer? I'm going to argue that this is not all that prayer does, but for you who, are, uh, who, who may disagree with me and who are, you know, Reformed Calvinists and, like, you're, you're camping there, um, at least it does this. Prayer changes us. You go on to the Googles today. I, 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 I encourage you to try it. Go home, type in the effects of prayer or the healing effect of prayer. It is no secret in the medical community, they've done studies on this, that you take people who are in treatment or who have some sort of illness or whatnot and those who, pr- who pray or who have people who are praying with them and for them and those who don't, arguably the experience of the people who pray is often better and more effective than the people who don't. It's just science. It's just biology. Something about the act of prayer, meditating, communicating with the divine, does something in us to the tune of 
studies show that people get healed more when there's prayer involved. I'm not making this stuff up. Check it out on the Googles. It's, it's actually true. So something's being like released in our brain. There's chemicals in our brain that are being released that have an effect on our bodies. Prayer changes you. It changes me. It does something in us. Again, I'm going to argue it's not all that prayer does. People will say, what's the, what's the um, why do you pray? Well, it changes me. I would say that's an outcome of prayer or that's a byproduct of prayer, but that's not why I pray. I don't pray because it changes me. I pray because I want to flip an answer and I think that I'm going to get one. And if I don't think that, then why pray? Well, I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Paul, I think Paul knows this, that prayer actually, it changes us. It moves us. It, it does something in us. But what else does Paul know? And here I call on my daughter's alarm clock. This is a radio alarm clock, friends. You've seen these before, right? Digital. You might be keeping time on me. Like, he's been going for 10 minutes now. Just stop. Give it up, okay? <laughs> it's not helping. It's not. I've got something to say here, baby, okay? Oh, wait. I got to get it to a bad station first. Oh, yeah. There we go. Prayer, I want to suggest is a bit like tuning in. This is a radio, and there are frequencies. It's kind of loud. There are these frequencies, like, in the air. And this device, like, helps me grab those frequencies and then play them through a speaker. Prayer is a bit like tuning in Oh, that was a downer. That can't be God's heart. It just can't be. Ah, God might like a little discotheque, right? Talk radio, definitely not God's heart. But here's the deal, right? If you think about the spiritual life in terms of music, and you think about God... Like, we know the tone, the rhythm, the beat of the kingdom. It's not a secret. It is not something God has locked up, hidden. I think it's Colossians. Is it like, like, at the appointed time, God made known to all the mystery kept hidden in Christ. We know what the kingdom sounds like. We know what the kingdom looks like. We know what the rhythm is. We know what the beat is. Prayer is the means by which my heart becomes in tune with what God is doing. The song of the kingdom, so to speak. And so as I pray, and as you pray, as we pray, I want to suggest this metaphor of it's, it's this activity of tuning our hearts into the heartbeat of God. And as we do that more and more, the effect would be then that we sound like, look like, speak like, act more like the kingdom of God. So prayer... It does something in us, and prayer is this activity by which we, we align, right? We align our heart with God's heart. So the question that one might ask next is, what does God's heart look like for humanity? What is God's heart for me, for you, for humans? I sound like a broken record here, guys. I know this, but it looks like the cross. God's heart for humanity is yes in Jesus, like everything God has ever promised in the scriptures, it is confirmed and affirmed and yesed in Christ. 
So it looks like grace, it looks like love, it looks like redemption, it looks like restoration, it looks like reconciliation. God's heart for you, for you, for me, looks like Jesus. Next question, let me bring her down. Is there anybody who you could be praying for? Is there anybody who for you, your heart towards that person is not in sync with God's heart for that person. If we know what God's heart is for humanity, and it's yes in Christ, it's love, it's grace, it's mercy, it's redemption, it's transformation, it's restoration. We know that's what God's heart is for us. Is there anybody in your life whom your heart towards that person is not in sync with God's heart? Is there anybody who has hurt you? Is there anybody who is hard to love? Is there anybody who, for whom there is an extreme amount of bitterness towards? Would you ever commit to praying for that person? Even if it's, God, help me not to hate them. God, if you're out there, give me a desire to love them. God, if you're listening, would you change my heart? If prayer changes us and it moves us and it affects us, then I think one of the reasons why Paul says, listen, gang, you should be praying for me because Paul knows that whatever this bitterness is, these dissenters, this tension that's there will be mitigated and the Spirit's balm and salve will come over when the Corinthian church begins to pray for him. He knows that. And I would submit that to you this morning. Is there anybody for whom you could commit to praying for? A season. Just see what happens. I would venture to say that something might actually change in you. Now, I've said I'm going to argue that that's not the only reason we pray. The fact that we're changed, the fact that it, something happens in us is an effect of prayer. It is, it's, it's an outcome of me praying, but it is not why we pray. And I think Paul gets at this. So let's dig in a little bit more. Look at verse 10 again. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope, right? He says like, it's all here. We've anchored ourselves to this, that he will continue to deliver us, comma, as you... Help us by your prayers. What has Paul just said? It seems to me, and I think the language supports it, the original language it was written in. I'll share a little bit about that. But I think what Paul is saying is, my deliverance, what Paul, I'm Paul, my deliverance is connected to at least two things. One, my faith and trust in this gospel. And two, your prayers. Said differently, if you don't pray, things turn out differently. Now that's an interesting idea to ponder. If we don't pray, things turn out differently. Said differently, or maybe you could say it this way, the church, the people of God praying, communicating with God, agreeing with God that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, matters. Things hang in the balance. Not everything is decided. It is not a closed system but rather, we have say-so. We have influence. 
We can change and alter things with our decisions and therefore with our prayer. And the scriptures have all kinds of uh, examples of this, which gives Calvinists fits. Like, what do we do with these? You know, it seems like God changes his mind. Will you save the city for 100? Okay, sure. How about 75? No, okay, sure. How about, you remember this negotiation that happens? It's like, how, what's happening here? Is this just literary, you know, fodder? Or is this telling us something about who God is? Paul, in this line, in this text, he uses two, a, a word here when he says, as you help us with your prayers, and it's two Greek words, sin and ergos. Sin, S-Y-N, is like um, to come alongside of. We get words like synchronicity and um, synonym or uh, s- things like that. It's coming alongside of, and ergos is not ergo, but energy. It's energy. So what Paul essentially says is, like, you who come alongside us with your energized prayers, it, that, that does work. Energy like produces something. It, 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 it actually affects something. So he's saying, if you don't pray, things turn out differently. My deliverance hangs in the balance and connects to your prayers. And if you don't pray, then something else might possibly happen, which is a really interesting way to think about it. Did you know that there are more if-then statements in the Bible related to prayer than any other human activity? Two examples you probably have read before. One's often terribly misquoted and used to think about America. It's not, but here it is, Second Chronicles. If my people, right, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. It's like, it's like as if God were saying, if my people will pray, then I will heal them. It's not as if, that's what it says. It's not a joke. Like, that's what it says. If you pray, then something happens. James chapter uh, five says this. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you confess your sins to one another, then you will be healed. Um, and the word that's used here, the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This really ought to read the prayer of a righteous person, someone in Christ, the energized prayer of a righteous person energizes much. Same word, energeo, as, as Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. The energized prayer, the, like energy being something that produces work or an outcome, the energized prayer energizes much. Now, gang, let me just tease this out, okay? And then I want to present the alternative in just a moment. But let's just, let's just keep going down this road for a second. What if this is true? Right? I, I said, I'm beginning to believe this. What if it's true that God, if God's people don't pray, things turn out differently? What if, it, what if God has set up the world in such a way that God, in God's all-powerful nature, and God's all-knowing nature, and God's inexhaustible nature, needs us to pray? to release kingdom energy into the world, to, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven? What if God needs us? What if the more God's people pray, the more the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven? The more God's people pray, the more injustice is pushed back and darkness is pushed back and light enters in. What if there is a reservoir of power that God can only unleash when activated in the world by God's people? That would seem to make sense with what Paul's saying. My deliverance is not just based on my faith and hope, but it's your prayers that actually help. Would you save the city for 10? How about five? How about? 
What if God has willfully and knowingly bound God's self to humanity? So much so that God's power and God's strength and rule is only possible through relationship. What if God knows that power doesn't mean unilateral control and omnipotent power over, but that true love and relationship only is real when there's real communication between two partners? If this is true, then prayer matters. If it's not true, it's an exercise in obedience. That's it. It's all it can do is change you. And quite frankly, friends, if I'm prompted at two in the morning to like, pray for somebody and it only changes me, that can wait till seven, at least seven, right? But if things genuinely hang in the balance and God's people praying and agreeing with God actually changes the outcomes of things, then we ought to be on our knees in that moment when prompted by the spirit to pray for whatever we've been prompted to pray for. I mean, it seems kind of capricious and sort of like, uh, like I'm a yo-yo on a string. If I sense the spirit prompting me at two in the morning and really all it can do is change me, it actually doesn't have any effect in the world. That just seems bizarre to me and it doesn't square with scripture and it doesn't sound like Jesus either. Shall I keep going? Um, E.M. Bounds says that God largely shapes the world through prayer. Let me offer the alternative, okay? Two Robert Frost, two roads diverged into a wood. I took the one less traveled. Two theologies about God and prayer diverged into a wood. I'm inviting you to take the road less traveled. But here's the alternative. It's a sovereign blueprint. It's a closed system, okay? God's sovereignty and power means that God is ultimately all powerful and all in control of everything. And then therefore, we, you, I, are sort of divine, well, we're actors in a divine drama that leads or ends here, but the choices that we make are actually feigned choices. They're not actual choices. They're just sort of executions of our supposed will. It's, it, and it's all decided. And so prayer then can really only change me. It, it can't affect the outcome of anything if it's already been decided, right? But what if it's not been decided? A couple weeks ago, I, I read this email. What if God has an infinite knowledge of the plan or infinite knowledge of the possibilities and brings to bear the plan on the choices that we've made to that end. That's a different way of looking at it. Now, prayer makes a difference and it matters and it's something that we really ought to do more. <laughs> you should buy from me. <laughs> I mean, I start saying these things and we start thinking like, how can God be all-powerful? if he's dependent on me? How can God be all-knowing if he's like contractually obligated to our say-so in the world or our affirming or our agreeing, our praying? How can God be all-powerful and all-knowing? It doesn't sound like a God who's sovereign at all. But I want to suggest that we need to be very careful that we don't define God and God's power with our own corrupted views of what power looks like. When we think of power, we think of power over. We think of someone who controls everything. We think of someone who has the ultimate authority. We think of often, uh, and, and we hoard it, right? We don't give that away because then we might, be, we might be in need at some point. We might be vulnerable, right, if we give power away. And often, unfortunately, it's wielded unilaterally, not out of relationship, but because I think it's the best. And while that might be okay if God's got all the power, it still doesn't square with our experience 
about being relational beings and the way God made the world. Anyone with any like relational sense of health knows that that kind of power, when it's power over sort of authoritarian, unilateral, that that is not good. It's not tov. It, it's a Hebrew word, Genesis 1.11. It doesn't bear the seeds of life in it. In fact, it consumes life. It doesn't generate anything. It only consumes. It's a zero-sum game. And there's something in us that knows that that kind of power doesn't last. Why, why do I say that? What are the stories that we just gravitate towards? We spend millions in movie tickets to go see Abraham Lincoln, Dr. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela. Why? Why do we? There's something in us that says yes to that kind of power where it's coming underneath. It's the kingdom move. It's self-sacrificial love for the sake of another. And something in us says yes to that. Why? Because that's what the power of God looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes it. Look at this verse. He says this. But we preach Christ crucified. This is the subject, right? A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God on display. What does it look like when God flexes God's omnipotent muscles and shows off God's all knowledge? What does it look like? It looks like the cross. It looks like the resurrected, crucified Messiah. It looks like self-sacrificial love for the sake of the other. It looks like relationship. When God flexes God's omnipotent muscles, it does not look like unilateral power over authoritarian. No, it looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus. Now, if this is true, God does not rule unilaterally, but through relationship, you and I, we have been given say-so. We've been given say-so by God. We've been given influence. What we say, what we do, what we pray for matters and it has an effect in the world. How do I know this? Because if it's not true, Adam and Eve could have never eaten the apple. They were given authority. They were given say-so. They were given choice and they ate. We can go down that road another day. But the point being, we have influence, power, say-so. It's been given to us by God. God has bound God's self to us in this relational manner and things happen. God executes God's rule and kingdom reign, not unilaterally, but in relationship and partnership with us. This is why prayer matters. If that's not true, it's an exercise in obedience. That's not compelling to me. I'm not interested in that. I don't know about you. Maybe you are. I'm not. I, and, and the beauty, the paradoxical nature of God's rule and reign and kingdom coming to bear on, on earth as it is in heaven only happens when we, the bride, who have been given power, given authority, given say-so, submit it back to God in relationship because we trust the heart and the hand of God more than we trust our own. And I think if anything, 2,000 years of human, well, lots of thousands of years of human history would show us that our hearts cannot figure this thing out. And so we need, we are desperately in need of a God whom we can give our power and say so. And so this is what prayer is, friends. When we agree with God on the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, this is how God's rule and reign and how the kingdom of God is manifest in the world. Think of it this way. I'll close with this. Um, think of prayer like a trust fund. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that all week. <laughs> people are like, what? Going to start quoting 
no, I, can't, I shouldn't say that. I was going to name somebody, and that's not kind, uh, not kind at all. This is not health and wealth gospel, okay? But think about it this way. A trust fund is a secure base of resources that has been secured by someone and placed in a safe place, right? A bank or some other financial institution. And it's now been given or placed in this secure place in the name of so-and-so, right? The, other, the, the, the receiver of the trust fund. And those funds can only be accessed and released when the two parties agree upon the terms of whatever, right? So if I say, thanks for the trust fund, I'd like to use it for a brand new Ranger in a Ford F-150, because that's what I want, a new boat and truck, right? And the person in the trust fund was like, no, those resources were set aside for your kid's education. And I'm like, I want to use it for a boat and a truck, so give me the money. But that's not how it works, right? I can only access those funds when my motive is in agreement with the heart and motive of the person who gave the funds in the first place. When the church, you and I, come and we agree with God on the motive or the resources that will be used, ching, ching, doors open, right? Those, that reservoir of power, the kingdom of God coming to earth on, earth on earth as it is in heaven, this is how God's, this is how it happens, I think prayer changes us. I think it has a great effect on us, but I don't think it's the reason why. It's not the reason, it's not a compelling reason why I pray. And like I said earlier, gang, I'm, I'm becoming really convinced of this. <laughs> I don't have like some really great story to end this sermon. All I have is, I think this is really true. I think this is actually true. And if it is, we should pray more. That's my sermon. <laughs> if this is true, if it's not a closed system, and what we say, do, pray for affects things, friends, we should pray more. So my invitation to you this week is, there's a couple things, and I think they showed this slide a few weeks ago. If you'd like to pray for this community, I could give you a list of 100 things. I'll just keep it to three. Um, we feel like Awaken's in a really critical spot. And if you would like to pray for uh, and with our leaders as we navigate, like, what's this next season look like at Awaken, uh, I would be very grateful. We would be grateful. Uh, also, um, we don't start things we don't have leaders for. And from the beginning of this, I have prayed and I continue to pray. I'm praying more now than I did before, but I've been praying that God would just anoint someone, that someone would sense this leadership and they would... Step up, rise up, and it would be affirmed by the community that someone who could lead prayer in our community and whatever that shape that looks like, whether it's people who need prayer on Sundays or prayer during the gatherings or prayer for the life group leaders or whatever, that someone would lead that. And then lastly, that uh, um, we need new life group leaders. We're full. We have lots of people who are looking to get involved in this community who uh, we just need people who can lead that sense God inviting them to do that, to stand up and say, you know what, I sense God inviting us to do this or me to do this. So if there are other things you would like to pray for, please add them to your list. You, you can pray for things other than Awaken this week. I give you permission. <laughs> I know, right? Thank you. Like you needed that. Gang, uh, yeah, I don't have any quippy stories. All I have is I think that this actually matters, and I think we should be praying more. And so that's my invitation to you.
What would it look like for you this week to engage? One click, one step, whatever it is. So, would you pray with me as we close? God, as we consider and think about what it means to be in communion with you, in relationship with you, would you place in us a deep sense of desire? Me, God, if it be for nobody but me, give me a desire to pray, to be in communion and communication with you. If it really matters, and if things genuinely, if our prayers affect things, then God, give us a desire and manifest yourself. Let's put you to the test. Like if we pray more, what would you do? How would you manifest yourself? In fact, we're going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm testing you. I want you to do more in this community. I want you, I want more people to know who you are. I want more people to be in, in relationship with you. I want more people to hear the story of Jesus. I want more people to be saved from whatever brokenness they've found themselves in. I want more people to know you, whether that's here in this community or in our neighborhoods or elsewhere. That's what I want. So there you have it. Let's see what happens. God, I've, I'm feeling kind of bold here. I feel like I'm on a roll, so I'm just going to keep going. We want to see people healed. We want to see marriages restored in this community. God, where there has been brokenness, we want to see healing. We want to see resurrection. God, I pray for businessmen and women that their businesses would flourish, not so that they have more money in their pocket, but so they have more resources that they can move to the kingdom cause. God, we want to see uh, we want to see life and growth in relationships and in small groups and we want to see more kids who know how to read at Garlo. We want to see more kids who, who know that they're loved. So use this community, God. Use us. Here we are. Hineni. Here we are. Use us. We pray. And my prayer for you guys this week is that whatever step it is, one click, that you would be courageous and bold and step into it. And that God would be found on the other end of that. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.